Blog Talk Radio. Oh, she's going to call me the 646-652-4620 number. I don't know. I don't know. Well, if she calls Block Talk Radio, will she still be on screen? Um, Elizabeth Kayser. Kayser or Kaiser? I, I guess it would be Kayser. K-A-Y. How would you pronounce that? Uh, well, we were just, uh, you know, I guess the how she pronounces her last name, please. Kaiser? Kaiser? Hold on, please. Hold on, please. What? Like the space? No. $4,000. I'm taking donations, by the way. Just wanted to know. You know, it's almost like a child. You know, the doctor says he needs an operation. You say, I'm sorry, doctor, I can't afford to put him to sleep. I mean, really, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds silly, but it's just the same thing. Calls in an hour early, you know. Well, he said he was kind of stretched. I don't think he understands when the radio's progress was started at 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock. It starts at 11 or 12 o'clock. It doesn't start at 12.15, you know. And I don't think he's got that down yet. After this, um, I'll call him tonight or this weekend and tell him that, you know, we're going to. Let's continue this for next month. Oh, I know. I haven't done anything. No. I don't want a million dollars. My son, my son may say, oh, no, we need the board. We're going to do this at your, you know, the house. I don't, by the way, I don't think that's going to happen because it's going to be a straight block thing and maybe have a person call in. And I won't even be able to, if I had just a person, one person call in on Skype, um, on, um, on Skype. And do I need all this stuff or is it just a one-on-one type thing? Just have one person on Okay. Television at all. 
you know, I read articles all the time, the economy, economics, finance, you know, things are horrible. And I mean, horrible. I mean, horrible, horrible. I mean, we're making 19, the, 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 the precursor of 1929 look like good times. You turn on mainstream television, and they say things could not be better. Overnight, overnight, the national debt overnight went up two to, depending on who you talk to, and I don't know who's right, two to three hundred billion dollars. Now that's not a lot of money to deal, right? I know that, you know. But you would think overnight, you, you, I mean, you wonder something. If three hundred billion was our national debt, we should worry. That's what it went overnight. And they're talking about trillion and a half de- deficits going forward. We already owe current year's debt that we can't pay, which is going on $21 trillion. The long-term debt, and again, it depends on which numbers you use, how much the government hides, how much they didn't book, you know, because, you know, they say things like Marianne forgot to to write the three trillion dollars down, you know, three trillion. You've got to write down on on a notepad. You know, they say these stupid things. You you go, no, there's twenty five thousand transactions. You don't have a notepad with one transaction for for six trillion dollars. It's somewhere between one hundred and twenty five to two hundred twenty five trillion. That's more money than you know. I know you could probably cover it. Hello. <laughs> it sounds like a film <laughs> Programma Jam with the Marshquali COD. That's you, my grandmother used to watch that. Programma Jam, Italian station, you know. Uh-huh. And as she was doing housework, you hear, and there's a Programma Jam, you know. That's it's translatable, you know, with Basquale C.O.D. That was his name. And, he goes, and then he used to play violin. Oh, it's horrible. She, she never missed an episode for 80 years, you know. Oh, my God. Programma jam. It wasn't Basquale C.O.D. Oh, Grandma, please throw it away. Elizabeth, how are you today? Good, how are you? Good, good. <sighs> I'm going to go ahead and prop this camera up a little bit. Hold on one second. All right. Sounds good. Let's see. Is George here yet? If he's not there, we just go. Can he sort of just come in? I mean, that's not going to interrupt the broadcast, is it? Do you want me to call in on my phone or um, not? Can you hear me? Oh, can you hear? She wants to know if you want to call. She want, you want her to call in on the phone or what? No, she's fine now. Well, you, I'm trying you, to call George right now. Oh, ho- hold on, um, Elizabeth. We're trying to get a hold of George because he's not online yet. So, uh, I did talk to him, so he'll be online. Real yeah, soon. we okay. may start without him, okay? You don't mind, yeah, do you? I'm okay, fine because we... We start right on the uh, quarter hour. George, is that you? Can you hear me? George, hello. George, hello. Can you hear me? Let me get that straight. Let me get George, hello. Thought I heard you there for a second. Joe, do you want to say something really quick? George, can you hear me? George? I know he's alive. I just talked to him on the phone. I don't think he's alive. (laughs) I I think you may be mistaken. I think he just passed away. I think he just passed away, Elizabeth. No. We're gonna have we're gonna have the services. We're gonna have services during the broadcast. 
No, he's... don't say that. <laughs> don't say that with a crashing gun if he passes away. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm calling it right now. Are you Gary? I'm Gary. This is Joe. So. Oh, hi, Joe. Hi. I'm, I'm, I'm the dumb talk show host. I don't George, know anything. I'm waiting for you. Everyone tells me what to do. Okay, bye-bye. Is Mark talking to George, can you hear me? Yes, I can. How you doing, Gary? Good. How are you today? Pretty good. Good deal. Okay. Good deal. All right. So we got George and we got Elizabeth and everybody's good to go. So I'm going to start the uh, live stream here in about 30 seconds. Okay. <laughs> now, Elizabeth, your last name is pronounced Kaiser? Yes. Okay. Something to drink. You said you wanted something. Okay, good. I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> I hope it's strong. <laughs> it is. It's Friday. <laughs> All right, we're starting the stream in five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Executive Exchange Radio with moderator Joe Cristiano. American Is George going to be on? Exorcist, hosted by Dr. Jennifer Beeman and George Gutierrez, trusted <laughs> advisors to chief executives and business leaders across the nation. If you would like to add to the conversation, call 646-652-4600. Welcome, everyone, to Executive Exchange Radio. I'm your moderator today, Joe Cristiano. And, of course, with us, we have the founder of the BOMLC Group for Executive Exchange Radio, George Gutierrez, and a guest, Elizabeth Kaiser. She's the CEO of Kaiser Healthcare Consulting, um, and she's a consultant in the healthcare industry, which I'm very interested to hear more about. Let's see if everyone's on the line. George, can you hear me? Are you there? Oh, yes. Yes, I can. I can hear you very well. I I can't wait until we exercise something today. <laughs> okay, very good. So we're only going to have your picture up today. We're not going to have you live. Am I correct? That's correct. I have a very nice-looking picture. and Oh, yeah, with uh, smiley face and all that and a bow tie. I'm really <laughs> proud of you. And, uh, Elizabeth, can you <laughs> Yes, I can. Okay, you can. there you go. Okay, very good. Well, today, Elizabeth, you're going to be the center of attention. How about that? You don't mind being the center of attention, do you? I can do it for a little while. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm well, fine. you know, when people think of consulting, they think of industry. Very rarely, and I'll include myself in this, do they think of healthcare in consulting? Because people today accept healthcare as a basically a quasi-government uh, operated uh, enterprise and you fill out the forms, hopefully, and eventually you get paid a small stipend for what you do, and everyone goes home and everyone's broke. So uh, it, it, it's refreshing to hear that someone is actually consulting in that industry because it does need so much help. Tell us, how did you go from being an attorney, you know, and to a consulting practice? to a consulting practice in the healthcare industry. That's got to be a fascinating journey. Yes, um, it actually is, but there's a lot of similarities, Joe, because of the fact that as an attorney, we're constantly consulting. We're constantly advising, constantly in that, you know, in that mindset of of giving that advice and guidance and and helping people and entities to navigate certain issues and and, uh, certain circumstances. So it's very similar, actually, but... In terms of what I really enjoy doing, um, even though I've, I've been an attorney for 20 years, I enjoy business so much more because, quite frankly, in business, you can have a much wider impact. In yes. business, you can be an influencer on a national basis. 
As an attorney, you typically, your world is much more micro. Your world is much more uh, basically your, your connections and who you know and who you shake hands with and word of mouth, which is all good, but typically it's in your own you know, locale or your own geographical region. Um, I'm just more of a big picture thinker and I like the fact that business allows one to really extend their influence on a much wider scope. Um, not to mention, I started my first business when I was 15 years old, so business is in my blood. Um, I still do practice law to a smaller extent. I still do some real estate law and all of that. And I'm, at, I'm an active uh, uh, lawyer for the Missouri Bar and the Illinois Bar, as, as well as the federal court. So, of course, that's something that I would never relinquish. Um, but the skill set uh, and the advocacy and the communication and just the analytical ability and being very um discerning um and the critical thinking skills that you that you garner as a lawyer uh, really really serves you well in business well what i'm curious about is that when you're consulting with someone do you sometimes slip on your legal hat rather than your consulting hat or do, do they meld in pretty easily do they you know congeal or or are they separate entities when when you're discussing things with a client uh, we just lost her for a second. If you Uh-oh. guys want to keep going. Just George, are you still there? George? Yep, I'm here. Oh, you're, you're here. We just lost Elizabeth. Hold on a second. Well, well, All right, I'm George, sure why don't you fill in the gap, okay? Yeah, she'll, well, she'll be back in a minute. She'll yeah. be back in a minute. One of the things that I find interesting, though, uh, I think – uh, is is really women in leadership positions, and um, you know, there, there's there's been a, a whole lot of conversation about that, and uh, some terms have evolved over the years, uh, and I think we've seen a lot of change at the corporate level, even at the government level, in terms of you know more opportunities for women to uh, rise through the ladder of of success for leadership positions. So uh, I, I wanted to uh, hopefully bring that out and have Elizabeth talk a little bit about how she feels about that. Uh, cause that, that's, that continues to be a topic of discussion that is out here in, in the, both the corporate and the academic world that I really find interesting. Yeah, I I thought it was fascinating. Uh, you never think of an attorney as a consultant but they are consultants because when you go to them, they say, I have a problem. How do I solve this problem? Of course, from a legal end, not from a processing end or a uh, production end or whatever. And, but really, the logic is the same. You use the same logic. You just have little different venues. Yeah, and, and, and I think you know, that term consulting has really been, I think, um, overused for a long time. So now we're beginning to see evidence to where uh, some people are trying not to use it because uh, it, has, it has some negative connotations. Um, however, I think you're absolutely right. I think from from uh, from an attorney perspective, they really do consult. They they know the law. They know, you know, they're, they're up and current on, you know, how it is that a client will be affected, you know, based on, on – on the law, so they, they, I, I would say from a from a population of, you know, leaders in terms of, you know, uh, how they consult. I think you're absolutely right on that one. Yeah, you know, you would think that an attorney would almost take an adversarial point of view because that's what they're accustomed to. You know, you have a who's suing another guy or a woman or whatever, you know, or one entity suing another entity. So you're always playing this, you know, good cop, bad cop type thing. And it, it must be some transition to go from there to be a consultant and say, look at the entire picture and not, don't come out with a win-lose proposition, but come in with a win-win proposition. That's got to be a big trick. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this bit uh, back on the phone, on the, on the air. Yeah, we got her back. Yeah, we got her back. Okay. Yes. I okay. Can you hear me, Joe? Yes. Uh, did you hear what I uh, what I just said, uh, Elizabeth? 
I did, and that's perfect, actually. I don't know how my connection got dropped, but all of a sudden the screen just went blank, but I dialed right back in, so I do apologize for that. But, oh, uh, oh, mo- mo- most charming ladies hanged up on me, so don't, don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being my proxy. You did a great job, Joe. I mean, I heard the last five minutes of it. It's like, you know, he's, he's speaking my words, and you're so right. Um, the one thing I wanted to mention is that we're also consulting, but I'm a, I'm a certified mediator as well. And so I enjoy keeping people out of court. And I did that for actually 10 years um, where I was trained as a mediator and I would mediate cases. Sometimes that would take hours. Sometimes it would take days keeping people out of court. Um, And out of about, I've mediated probably about close to a little over 300 cases. I think there were about four of those out of 300 cases that actually went to court. And that, that in itself is very gratifying to keep keeping people out of court. And you just said, Joe, finding the win-win. That's what it's all about. It's identifying the value of, of each side and finding that common denominator. And sometimes that can be really tri- tricky. Sometimes it can be very cryptic. Uh, it's, it's very challenging. And it really pivots on the t- transparency and the honesty and just that whole process of getting each party to identify what is it they truly want? And many times, surprisingly, at the end of that process, you find out that they're both wanting the same thing, and they're not adversarial at all. Right. But there were some irrelevant right. external factors that were influencing the equation that shouldn't have even been at the table to begin with. And so I really enjoy mediating, and that's something that's really um, serving me well. And do, do you ever come up with, uh, with the uh, challenge of um, – um, Converting from someone who was saying we've got to win versus, I mean, one side's got to win to basically everyone's got to win because it seems to be the antithesis of being an attorney. You know, you know, we're going to sue this person. We're going to get X number of dollars. and They're going to lose X number of dollars in the consulting world. Everyone has to win to, to come up with a viable solution or else everyone loses. I mean, and how do you make that transition? Do you have a problem with that? No, not at all. And again, I think it, that reached back back into the, the mediation mindset. Um, and it wasn't that I was just certified and trained in being a mediator. I always had that mindset that, you know, when you have a winner and a loser, and unfortunately, the judicial process in our country is very, you know, pivoted on a very adversarial process. And uh, that's unfortunate. And there's a lot of wasted resources, we all know, a lot of wasted resources in terms of time and money and energy and stress and emotion that gets put into that adversarial process that forces a winner and forces a loser. And it's so unrealistic and it's so unhealthy. So that's why I just gravitated into mediation. Um, And when our state uh, opened doors for attorneys to become certified mediators and to change their way of practicing, and really the law schools, and I took a lot of this in my law school, but a curriculum that teaches all about ADR, um, and which is called Alternative Dispute Resolution. Oh, oh we lost her again, George. We, we don't know why. Well, she'll, she'll have to yes. reconnect. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, uh, I, so I really, you know, one thing I really want to uh, kind of, have her talk about when she comes back because cause I, I think I think I'm not connecting the dots, you know, going from from an attorney to healthcare. So I'm wondering, you know, what it is that that she loves about healthcare. What uh what excites her about the whole healthcare industry that she is plunging into this new um new company that she's got. Yeah, well, I think we have her back. Uh, Elizabeth, are you back with us? I am, but I don't know what's happening. You know, uh, uh, many charming ladies, you know, hang up on me. It's, 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 I'm, it's, I'm used to it, so it doesn't bother me too much. Um, how, how is it that you selected healthcare as a, a focus in your practice? That's, that's a good answer. Oh, I mean, it's an easy answer for me, actually. Um, and I, I've told Jorge this as well, but I wanted to be a doctor. And so back in 92, um, I was really looking hard at going into medical school. Um, that was something that I was just, uh, my aptitudes and, and my thinking, and I just gravitated towards the clinical side, towards healthcare, was a very natural gravitation. 
So I started looking into the, the options and uh, different avenues that I could take to go into as a medical career. Um, even so far as I actually went back to college after I got two of my majors in business management and, and marketing, went back to college to take uh, chemistry, a lot of chemistry classes. I'm sitting in class. So at any rate, um, for many reasons, it didn't turn out for me to go to medical school. I was, you know, I had a, a small child, I was married, and it would have been uh, just simply not doable or feasible or practical um, at the time because it would have taken my family to another city that was two hours away, and it just didn't make any sense. So I then looked into um, physician's assistant, which is one step below doctor. Right. And at the time, the state of Missouri didn't recognize physician's assistant at all. They do now, but they didn't then. Um, and so at the time, I was uh, in shopping center management and marketing, and I was marketing a, uh, a new strip center. Prior to that, I was marketing a shopping center and started looking into law because I knew I kind of, um, you know, hit my head on the ceiling and I couldn't go any further where I lived. I had the best jobs there were where I was living and uh, wanted that intellectual challenge and applied to law school and went to law school instead. I don't regret it. I actually loved law school. Probably one of the few students that loved it. Um, you know, there were, there were definitely some hard days and it, it could be very arduous as you could imagine because we had to read about 125 pages every single night. But I love the intellectual challenge. And I graduated cum laude and wow. it served me very well. So that's kind of where that love of healthcare came in. Now I'm combining what I love to do, which is being an entrepreneur, um, seeing opportunities, creating businesses, creating systems, connecting dots, and looking at the executive level and putting pieces together. Um, this is my fourth company. I must say it's my most challenging company. There's no doubt about that. But it's combining my natural gravitation and skill towards creating business with a lot of the skill sets and advocacy, communication skill sets, critical thinking, analytical thinking that I've garnered as a lawyer, and combining that with my original love for wanting to be a doctor. So it's, it's just a, a wow. perfect combination. Well, it, it seems like you well, have all... I'm sorry, George, go ahead, please. Yeah, I, I really want to jump in in here because she's, she's just connected a bunch of dots. Uh, and and I really want to uh, sort of get some clarity on one thing. One of the things that I'm exposed to is, you know, uh, the female executives who are continue to kind of bring up the topic of uh, of glass ceilings, you know, sort of a way of uh, systematic holding folks back, in this case females, so they don't achieve higher levels of, you know, success, for example. Now, I don't, I don't really – uh, sign off to that level of thinking because I, I believe that every glass ceiling is there to be broken. However, you know, just, just listening to Elizabeth, uh, it, it seems to me that you've broken through some glass ceilings. So what is the most single attribute that, that you would think uh, as, uh, a, a successful entrepreneur should have? Uh, and, and, and what is that, that actually, what, it, what is the one that actually executes and creates a sustainable business? Are you asking that of me or of Elizabeth? Elizabeth. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Elizabeth, uh, did you hear the question? I did. I did. And I think I can answer it. Yes. Um, George, thank you for that question. I'm going, to be try, I'm going to try to be very responsive to your particular question. And let me just uh, kind of uh, reiterate the question. Is you, you asked a couple of questions. You said, what is the greatest attribute that contributes to a successful entrepreneur? But I think you put that in a context or within the framework of being a female. So I'm going to answer that. First of all, I think that if you really take a, a broad brush profile, if you will, of entrepreneurs that are successful, because everybody has ideas and 98% of them never get executed. We all know that, right? Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I think it is confidence. And I think it's the love to learn. And I know that might sound a little unusual combination, but if you have this insatiable appetite to learn, which is fueled by a magic word called curiosity. Curiosity is an amazing component that I think is diluted today, especially in the younger generation. But if you start that main core primordial ingredient of curiosity that is an amazing force mm. and 
I don't know where you get it. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's genetic. I don't know if it's external. You can't take it in a pill. But curiosity drives everything. It drives people. If you don't have curiosity, you're just going to be treading water, and you're going to be taking up space is what I call it. Take up space. You know, you eat, drink, breathe. You're taking up space. That's all you're doing. And so if you have that curiosity and you have that love to learn, then when you fail, you don't see that as failure. Um, you know, I don't even like the word. I mean, you're constantly going to be testing the waters, taking the temperatures, saying, okay, let's try this. That didn't work. Let's try this. That didn't work. I don't call that failure. That's learning. That's the whole process of learning. If everything succeeded that you tried We, we lost her again, George. We don't know why it well, just keeps moving down. Get George, well, it, please. Go. It, does, it, it doesn't matter. Let's just keep going with the conversation. So yes. uh, she'll, she'll come back in a minute. Uh, yeah. it, I, I, I know there's people on the, on the line, but uh, you know, why don't you have them kind of ask me a question as to what they, what they got on their mind. Is there anyone online now? Okay, we have someone online, but they're not asking a question. So, but let me let me throw something out, something that I heard on an interview that had nothing to do with consulting or healthcare or, or being an attorney. And they asked the same question, you know, why did you make it when so many else people failed? And I thought the answer was so simple, but so but so erudite. He said, I had no plan B. And sometimes when you're placed in a position, and just like when the Europeans came over here, not speaking English, came to our shores back in the turn of the century, 1900s, they had no plan B. Either they made a success, they obtained a skill, they worked day and night, or they died or starved to death or whatever the case may be. And this person said, I had no plan B. He said, everyone that I know that has not made it in my business had a plan B. And as soon as things got tough, they reverted to plan B and thus they were not success. I had no choice. I just, I just throw that out. Cause that, that answer always stayed with me cause it was so simple. Yeah. So I think that's pretty interesting, you know, because uh, what that tells me is that, you know, they were either going to, they were either going to make it or not. And, and it gave them, sort of an, a mental focus to say all our energies are going to go into this thing and, and we're going to succeed. I, I'm not sure, you know, as a strategist, I always look at, you know, more than one way of, you know, of attaining, you know, certain outcomes. And I can tell you that um, uh, there's always, I, I, I would advise to have a plan B and a plan C in terms of different courses of action to take because, you know, the the market, the industry, it, just business in general has changed uh, just because of the influence of technology and, and the way that, you know, we're able to, uh, to do more with a lot less. So uh, that, that that was interesting response. But anyway. We have, some, we have a caller on the line. What area code is that? We have her back is what I said. Oh, we have her back. Oh, we have a Okay, we have her back. Okay, very good. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> Elizabeth. There you well, are. You're there, back. But there's also, there's also a caller on, on the line, so. Yeah. Well, Elizabeth, pay your electric bill. It keeps on going off, you know. This... <laughs> I get my Wi-Fi bill, Joe. That's what it is. Oh, we, we also – our caller hung up. I guess they waited too long. But um, um, now – what is the most surprising thing that you've learned going into healthcare? It seems that healthcare is a mess. I know my limited experience. My wife's an audiologist and she you know, works with doctors all the time. And um, doctors are not amenable to taking advice, uh, it seems, about my experience. Um, they have ways of doing things. They're not particularly, they can be nice guys, but not nice guys or women to work for. And they have preconceived notions on how things should work, regardless of how destructive they are. I say, I think you know, doctors have got to be the worst business people in the world. How do you interject what you're doing? How do you in, involve yourself in a um, an environment for the population that generally doesn't 
Doctors don't take advice. They give advice. I mean, it must be a real, the toughest road to hoe has got to be this one. Um, it is, Joe. And really, you speak their language. Um, if you speak a doctor's language, if you speak clinical, and then a lot of doctors are very weedy. They speak very clinical. And that's something that comes natural to me. In fact, I just had a conversation a couple of days ago, and it was, it was with a doctor, and we were talking about the IgE markers of this allergy immunotherapy. And fortunately, um, fortunately, I love the topic. Fortunately, I am always blowing holes in my own program, and that's the critical thinking in me. I'm not the Pollyanna, although I'm very optimistic, but I'm not the Pollyanna, and I want to go in there with, with fully armored. Um, and I like to, and this is, again, I'm reaching back to my litigation days, but, you know, when you have a, uh, when you have a client and you have a weak link in your client, you take the thing out of it by bringing out that weak link before the opposing counsel does. And if you bring it out yourself, then that whole impact is going to be greatly diluted. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's going to be much less damaging if you bring out the weak link yourself. Yeah. So that's what I do. That's what I do in business. If my particular program or service or whatever it is that I'm representing I will bring out that, well, you know, here's, here's the cost, here's, here's the drawbacks, here's the weak link, here's, here's the holes, here's the things that, you know, maybe aren't completely stored up. And, here, and then what you do is you get that comprehensive answer and a very clinical, uh, clinical definition within context. And it's amazing how you can really gain their trust, you can get their attention, but you have to be quick. They don't have a lot of time. And I'm a very succinct kind of bottom line kind of person anyway. So it's easy for me to speak their language. The challenge is, is that that's just me. The challenge is creating a company in the sales force that can message that way. And it's that, that is really the challenge, Joe, more than anything. And the bigger challenge is, you know, you're saying, well, how do you get the message? Because they are such personality. The biggest challenge is getting to that as an entrepreneur 
is having fun with what you're doing, having fun and being insatiably curious. Um, if you have those attributes, and I'm not even talking about intelligence, just forget about that. I'm talking about more of a personality. If you have those attributes, then what we call failures, which is just a word in my opinion, I think we need to come up with another word, isn't really failures at all. It's the process. It's the process of learning. It's the process of um, the joy of the challenge of figuring things out. It's like a Rubik's Cube and having fun in the process. You have to have fun in the journey. And if you don't, you're, you're never going to make it. You're just going to be, you know, having these pipe dreams and dreamers that most of us are without actually executing. And having the confidence of pulling the trigger and having faith in yourself and not waiting for perfection. That's the killer. And then that's one of my pet peeves. I have an aversion to people who are perfectionists. Oh, they drive me crazy. <laughs> so many times, <laughs> nobody's perfect. And it's, you know, sometimes you just got to build the plane as you fly it. And you've got to have the confidence and enjoy building it as you fly it. Um, and I think you have to have the enthusiasm and that fun that you're having in building a business for it to be, for it to resonate and for it to be contagious to others. So they kind of want to join you and have fun with you. Oh, um, that was very well said. And I love what you said, uh, the word failure. I've always said to uh, my people, you have to learn how to lose before you can win. And the example I use, which I think can resonate with our generation, a young man named Michael Jordan got cut by his high school basketball coach because he was not good enough. And after that, the rest was history. But thank you so much for your time. It was uh, very enlightening. Thank you for your questions. Thank you, Colin. Thank you for calling Executive Exchange Radio. Um, Now, what it, it you know I'm still having this roadblock, Elizabeth. Um, do, do doctors call you or do you call on them? If you call on them, how do you uh, attract their attention? It's, it's, they're virtually. I, I have a doctor that I've known for 32 years, a good friend of mine, and I can't stand seeing him anymore because he's so. <laughs> in, no, no, not because him personally. Is because the practice is such. It's grown to such a point where he's inundated with, uh, he has uh, administrators telling him how to do things. Like he got fined, he told me, because he, he wrote out a prescription for someone and he didn't put it on the computer and they find, I mean, the, the rules, regulations and everything are killing the entire medical industry. How do you get to even speak to these doctors that need so much help and if anything, need our sympathy? Right. Um, a, a couple of ways. So the first, my first answer is going to be kind of generic, and then I'm going to get into something that's a little bit more interesting and, and uh, certainly enlightening. The first answer is you have to convey a message that you're going to give, that you're going to provide an instant revenue generator that is non-disruptive, it is seamless, with no upfront cost, and contingency-based. They love to hear that because they don't have time Right. To learn. They don't have time for the implementation. They don't have time to onboard. They don't, and they certainly don't want to have to add any further staff in order to accommodate to your, your brand new mousetrap. They're just not going to do that. They're already drowning, as you said, Joe, and well put. And that is their world. Um, but the second way that uh, we have found, and it's, it's much more strategic, uh, it's, it's kind of um, much more subtle. And what we're doing is we're offering fractional CFO services to these physicians' practices that don't have a CFO. They certainly can't afford a CFO. They need a CFO. They know they need a CFO. They have, you know, maybe their accountant in the books or their wife doing the books or their niece or nephew or husband or friend or relative or, you know, babysitter doing their books because they're just in the practice. And so what we offer is we offer a discounted fractional CFO service so that we can provide that CFO, once that CFO then is in-house into that practice, and that CFO then takes a look at their revenue, their cash flow, um, their balance statement, they see where the holes are, they see that they're losing 
possibly not capturing 40% of the reimbursements that they should be capturing because they're doing the CPT codes all wrong because of the DC-10 that passed. And now you've got 68,000 codes. You, they see all these denials. They see these programs that are not taking advantage of. So if we can offer that service and then an objective, um, critical fiscal component into their practice, the doctor will then refer to that fractional CFO. And the CFO then says, here's your holes in the dam. Here's your gaps. Here's where you're bleeding. And not only am I a consultant, I'm not just giving you lift service, but here's the programs that you need and here's what we're going to do for you. Yeah. And then we come in. So that is another way that we can also get their attention by providing that um, that advisory, that advisory capacity with a CFO. Um, that is the that is a challenge too, but it is a very strategic way of circumventing all of those obstacles that you just identified, which, you know, the main obstacle is lack of time. You know, you, you heard of these uh, no-see, no-see bugs or no-see whatever. Now they call them no-see physicians because you can't see them. Right. Just no-see. They go from exam room to exam room. Right. Exactly. Now, another way we capture their attention is they live on their iPhone. 87% of all doctors are, are Apple. They're not Droid. Um, so knowing that, um, we are producing short clip videos. They may only have 20 seconds between exam one, two and exam one, three. They may have 20 seconds and they get to eat a half of a Nutri-Grain bar. And I mean, that's their life. It literally is their life. Yeah. They look at their phone and we are developing a digital marketing campaign for the short clips to go to their phone. So they can see these innovative allergy immunotherapy programs and they can really substantially increase their revenue and offer better practice of medicine. Our tagline is good business, good medicine. If it's not good business, we're not going to offer it. If it's not good medicine, we're not going to offer it. It's got to be both. Do you wind up streamlining the organization and make it so it frees them up? Is that the number one problem? Uh, I know doctors are just very resistant to any sort of change because they're so busy. Right, and that's, and that's a good point. The only programs and services that we will contract and onboard to our platform, Joe, are services that do not require any kind of adding staff, adding certain expertise or skill sets. If, that, if it requires a particular medical assistant, for example, or a physician's assistant, or a nurse practitioner, or a specialized tech, a med tech, we don't onboard them. It's got to be seamless. It's got to be non-disruptive. It's got to utilize uh, the resources that the doctor already has. And if we have to put a person in there from our from our program, then we'll do it and we'll incur the cost. And it all it all pays for itself anyway with the way we monetize it. I see. George, do you want to add some closing comments? We're we're past the witching hour, um, so I'd like you to add some uh, closing comments before we return to Elizabeth. Yeah, I I really appreciate Elizabeth taking the time and appear on the show today. Uh, uh, from my judgment, she's, I think, a perfect example of a successful uh, uh, executive leader that also happens to be a woman. Uh, and there's a lot to be said uh, uh, for that particular attribute because it's hard enough uh, uh, just being alive and trying to survive in this capitalist society. Uh, and she's able to, to have done this and it continues to grow with a great attitude towards the future. And I, what, I like, what I like the most is the focus on, on, the, on the healthcare industry, uh, you know, which is in, in a way adding value to, to, to every one of us out here. Uh, and, I, and I think uh, I really uh, hope that she can share some contact information so uh, folks can go to her website and, and see what she does. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Elizabeth, would you like to close things out, please? Um, I do, and I want to say something because I haven't addressed this. Being a woman, I don't feel like I've ever been discriminated against. I really don't. Um, I've always had the attitude that I want to learn, and I'm genuine and sincere in the fact that I want to learn. I have asked other men to be my mentor. Uh, when I litigated, when I was first out of law school, um, I've always, you know, portrayed in a very genuine way because I am genuine that Please teach me, you know, be my mentor, um, give me guidance. I want to learn what you do and, and you're exemplary in whatever that pursuit that I have. And people want to help. I just, I've, I've never really experienced um, some of the challenges and discrimination that someone women have. And 
perhaps it's just because I don't have a chip on my shoulder to begin with, and maybe I don't have a plan B. Maybe I don't have that in my mind that, oh, I'm going to be discriminated against another woman. It's not even there to begin with. And so maybe that just out. So I know I'm the minority, and I know that there might be other women listening thinking that's interesting because that's not been my experience. Um, but I've always gravitated to you know, in the past, very male-dominated careers. I mean, you know, an attorney and a business owner and all of that, and um, I've just not experienced that. In fact, when I was in law, I had to do domestic for a while because it's a right of passage, and a lot of men wanted me as their advocate in court because they thought that they would get a more favorable ruling by the judge with me being a woman. <laughs> so I've experienced reverse discrimination in many respects. Oh, I really have. Um, so at any rate, my contact information is Elizabeth Kaiser. My last name, I just want to stress, it's not with an I, like the Kaiser Permanente in California, which is the largest health system, health care system in the country, but it's with a Y. So it's K-A-Y-S-E-R. My contact information is ekaiser at kaiserhealth.com. So my domain is kaiserhealth.com. Kaiser, standing for Elizabeth Kaiser. My website is kaiserhealth.com. We kept it very simple. And uh, the contact information is 412-1788. We have a Facebook under Kaiser Health, again, with a Y, not an I. Um, We have LinkedIn profile. We have Twitter. So we're into the social media. And uh, we're really uh, working on a brand of Kaiser. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on Executive Exchange Radio. And, George, thank you very much for allowing me to be the moderator for today's program. We appreciate that. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, George, for inviting me. Uh, you're a great program. You're a terrific person. You're really. You're, you, you need a cape now. You need a cape with a big S on it, Superwoman or something, you know? Okay. That's right. <laughs> George, would you like, you have any closing words? No, that's it. Thank you very much, uh, uh, everyone, and thank you for the calls. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you. And folks, thank you very much. You've been listening to Executive Exchange Radio. I'm your moderator, Joe Cristiano. Remember to stay well and stay tuned. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, George. Bye-bye.